Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card. Because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store. Are you there, James? Emergency, like a surprise no. episode of the end of the podcast. Oh. One minute, this guy. Are you there? And welcome to... Yeah, I'm, we're here, man. Welcome to a, uh, a surprise uh, edition of, of the Infant Office podcast. Uh, I'm James Hollis uh, of B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, some people out there might know me as Snotty Drippin' on Twitter. And uh, the reason this, this podcast jumped off is because I was, uh, I'm was i honored to be joined today by uh, one of my favorite NBA players of all time, man, Mr. Scott Pollard. Scott, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing really good. Thanks, for, uh, thanks for agreeing to join me. Yeah, I, I, hear you, I hear you good. How about me? Can you hear me all right? Yep, we're good. Oh, okay, we're good, we're good. Um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, uh, agreeing to join me on such short uh, short notice and uh, for being so agreeable with the times. I really appreciate it. Where, where are you at right now? I'm in Indiana, or as I call it, the Middle East of America. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> well, uh, so it's not the Midwest. It, 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 we're in the Eastern time zone. It, we get the lake effect weather, even though we're three hours south of Chicago. So, uh, you know, it, um, it's uh, it's it's kind of a no no man's land over here yo so I, you know what you just um please if you could tell everybody i know you, you just uh you have a big announcement uh anyone who follows you on twitter they already know but can you i don't know if you want to share it. some really good news uh well we just had a baby my wife just had a baby i was just watching but uh yeah we have uh, <laughs> my fourth uh child he's uh he's good he's healthy mom's healthy so excellent news we're all happy out here in the middle east uh, I know I told you before, man, but that's 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 big time. Congratulations, and uh, that's that's awesome, man. That's especially now I know that you have another child, just and it's nine o'clock out there in Indy. So I really do appreciate you taking a few minutes to join me and talk a little basketball and a little bit of life and just a little bit about yourself, man. Um, I remember when you were uh, when you first hit the league, and uh, you didn't get much time with Detroit. Um, everyone kind of remembers you with Indy first. You know, you were tough. I got a question about you from one of my co-writers or B-Ball Breakdown later on. It's pretty funny. I think you like that one. Um, uh, what was it like? Do you remember that first day? Of course you you probably do. I'm I'm being an idiot. Of course you remember this. Like, what was it like that first day when you were drafted, man? The first day I was drafted was it was surreal because, you know, I was 23 at the time, which back back in in those days it was very rare for players to leave early. So uh, I was I had just graduated college, and uh, I was time time moved so slowly. You, you get an agent. You're graduating college. Uh, you're doing all of the pre-draft workouts, uh, going to the teams that are projected to, to be interested in you. 
you're talking with general managers, you go to a couple camps, and, and time is just moving so, so slowly. At 23 years old, you're just thinking, how could time move any more slowly until June when the draft is going to happen? And then draft day happens, and you're, and time slows down even further because you just cannot wait until the draft starts. And I, I didn't think I was going to get picked in the lottery, and I was right. Uh, so I didn't even want to go wow. to the to the actual draft. So I'm hanging out in Vegas, and I'm watching in the sports book. That's the only place back then. Again, it wasn't like national live or TV. <laughs> you know, I was in the sports book of of some casino watching because that was the only place I could see it live. And seconds just ticked away. Another draft, another pick, another pick, and and it's just so slow. And then finally, I see clips of myself on TV. And I'm thinking, because I can't, I don't have sound. Again, I'm in the sports book. And all right. of a sudden, I see clips of myself on TV. And I'm thinking, oh, they drafted my roommate and my teammate, Jock Vaughn. He was projected lottery pick the year before. So I'm thinking, okay, there we go. And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up. And I'm surprised they had cell phones back then, but but they did. And, <laughs> and, uh. That's like the very first little flip phones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had the old school flip phone, you know. And uh, I, they immediately kicked me out of the sports book because you can't have a phone in the sports book. And then life just yeah. went light speed. It went from seconds feeling like hours to all of a sudden just bam. And I'm on the phone doing interviews, doing interviews. And then I'm talking to travel people because they're flying me to Detroit. And they're getting, a, getting me ready for press conferences. And they're asking me my sizes and all this other stuff. And confirming my birth date and all this, you know, the legal stuff. So it just went from slow, 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 and slower to lightning fast, and then all of a sudden I'm in Detroit looking for a house. That's uh, that's a wild ride, man. And uh, yeah, Detroit. We know Detroit was pretty slow, and you you didn't get too much burn in Detroit. And like I said, Indiana's where you really took off, and and Sacramento's kind of you know I think it's weird because Indiana you, you took off and you became known as a quality big man, but Sacramento's where you know that Sacramento that Sacramento team was big time, man. Can you talk talk, talk to me a little bit what it was like? Uh, in that era of Sacramento, because that's the Chris Weber, uh, Jason Williams. I mean, that's when Sacramento was big time. They were you guys were legit contenders, man. Yeah, well, actually, I was in Sacramento first before I got to Indiana. So um, most of my career was in Sacramento. That's home to me uh, as far as NBA goes. Uh, the, I spent the both most of my career uh, of, of my eleven years. Five of them were in Sacramento, and we got to the playoffs every year. We got the Western Conference Finals once, and it was. It was quite a ride being with all those personalities, and uh, you know, people now ask me about the Golden State Warriors and what what is their deal and and why is it uh, that they're so good. And part of it is the way they play; it's the style. The, the game has changed clearly since you know when I played in the NBA, and, and you know, I'm not that old, but still, the game is always evolving, so it's always changing. But the thing about the Warriors that is most fun to watch is you can tell they genuinely enjoy each other's company. And that's what it was like playing for the Sacramento Kings. We all enjoyed each other's company. We all knew we were from different countries, different parts of this country, different planets for some of us. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, we all genuinely enjoyed each other's country or uh, company. And I think that's what translated into a fun style of basketball to watch. We loved winning so much that we didn't care who got the numbers. And it rotated around. This time, Hito Turkoglu would go for 20 and 10. Uh, you know, this time, Vlade leads us. This time, you know, and it was mostly the stars. It was mostly Chris Webber. It was mostly Peja Stakovich. And mostly Mike Bibby and Jason Williams, you know. But when you, when you 
or a guy like me, and you know, once in a while I'd lead the team in rebounds or scoring. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm a role player, and I knew it my whole career. I was a role player. I I, I ended up having more rebounds than points in the NBA. So I, I was never ever under any illusions that I was going to be uh, a perennial All Star. But it was so nice and exciting to be a part of a team that everybody around the league loved watching. We got fans. Little Sacramento that never really had much success before that point got fans all around the NBA, and it was it, we called it the King Show because literally there was people waiting for the Sacramento Kings to show up, and the staff that had been with the Kings their whole careers are just going, "This is crazy! I've never seen anything like this." You know, we'd land in Memphis and there'd be people there. You know, just it, it was a, a very very unique uh, team and, and a situation to be a part of, and, and uh, I got chills just talking about it. It was. Some of my favorite memories in my whole life, and I've, I've got a whole long list of really good memories, but those are definitely uh, my years with the Kings are some of my favorites. I mean, and, you know, hey, contrary to me just getting your squads backwards, like, who was first, I actually do. You know, I remember those squads with Doug Christie, and you guys were so much fun, man. Uh, you know, Jason Williams, you know, White Chocolate put on the show, and then Mike Beebe came in a little more stable. And um, so one of my coworkers asked what he wanted me to ask you, man, because uh, I'm going to say it. You, got, you guys got jobbed in 02. I don't know what happened. I'm not saying, but somehow the basketball guys or somebody jobbed you guys in O2. Do you remember that going down? And and what were you? Can, can you talk to talk to me a little bit about the O2 playoffs against the Lakers? Uh, the Western Conference Finals uh, against the Lakers. You know, we had bad blood with them. There there was no of secret. We had a fight. We we had a bench clearing fight at one point. They changed the rules in the NBA because of that fight. You know, where the teams before then there were certain times where teams would have to go out the same tunnel to get to the locker rooms. And after that fight, they oh. changed the rules. So teams have to go out of opposite tunnels. Now in the NBA, every NBA game, the teams cannot even in shoot around the day of the game. If the teams are shooting around near each other, they have to go out different tunnels. They can't mingle uh, in the tunnels because of that fight. And, it, hey, you know, Scott, was that Rick Fox and Doug Christie really like really got into it? Was that the game? That was it. That was that game, uh, and I believe it was the same season. Uh, I, I believe it was the one season that, that ended up with the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but, I, you know, I can't remember all these things because we played the Lakers more than we played anybody else. We played them in the preseason twice. We always played them in Vegas. That's a, that's a thing. The Lakers and the Kings always play each other in Vegas in the preseason. And then we play them four times during the regular season and then seven times in the playoffs because we always have seven-game series with them, it seems. Anyway, uh, so in 0-1-0-2, that we had the best record in the league. We won the Pacific Division, and, and we were the best team in the league. There, there's no question. We had proved it throughout the season we were the best team in the league. We were rolling around just, just running over people and having a blast doing it. We, we absolutely had a blast. It was, it was so much fun to be on that team. And in that series, we got up against the Lakers, our rival, our old uh, you know, nemesis, and we, we – <laughs> it's the playoffs. It's hard <laughs> to win the playoffs. It's hard. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that game six being fixed or whatever. And the you can look at it and you can break it down. And, and there's somebody, uh, they're called NFL Ranking. They did this thing, this series on YouTube. And it was like a seven or eight part series about that series. And if you watch it, if I watch it, it makes me cry. Because, you know, my whole life was geared towards winning an NBA championship. So watching this is just, you know, it's tough. 
uh, and you know, my whole life was trying to win a ring at any level. I, I, I wanted to win one in high school and, and I want to win one in college and, and ended up winning one in the NBA. But, you know, uh, people talk about that game six being tampered with or the referees or whatever it was. It was tough. You know, when, when Vladi has got five fouls and I've got, I've fouled out and, and Chris Weber almost fouled out. And I think Vladi ended up fouling out. You know, we've got Lawrence Funderburg guarding Shaquille O'Neal. And Lawrence is a great player, but he was an offensive guy, and he's six nine and about two twenty. When when that guy that size is guarding a guy that's seven two and three eighty, there's a little bit of a disadvantage there. That's all. There's nothing against Lawrence. It's just Shaq was in his prime in that time, and it was it was a tough call. So when you're you know facing those odds, and and it, it, you know the referees are part of the game. I will always say that I've never ever seen a player after a game that, that won going in the post game interviews and saying, you know what, we wouldn't have won that game, we shouldn't have won the game, but the referees really came through for us. So if you're never going to say right. that, <laughs> you can't blame a loss on the referees. You just can't. So you can't go up to the podium after the game and say, you know what, it's all the referees' fault. It's not. It's they're part of the game. They're humans. They make mistakes. Were there a, a seemingly disproportionate amount of mistakes? Yeah. Can you prove that it was fixed? No. And guess what else? We had game seven back at home, and that's why the NBA and most professional sports are fair because they do seven-game series, and the team with the best record gets home court advantage, and you have seven games to prove who the best team is. We went home, and in game seven, we absolutely crapped the bed. We had a horrible shooting night. I actually personally had a good game, but we had a, <laughs> had a horrible – and I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own butt. I'm just saying, like, I I just happened to have had a good game that game. But we, as a team, had a horrible, horrible game. And we lost in game seven at home. And the Lakers ended up winning the NBA championship that year. Hey, you know. Hey, you know Scott, I, I respect the fact that you're being so magnanimous about it. And that's, you know what, that's very big of you. I'm going to say it as a, as a basketball fan watching that. I remember almost ripping my hair out, and I had a low Caesar haircut, so I don't know how I would have done it at the time. I remember just being like, what in the hell kind of cause are these? And I've seen that video series. If not that same video series on YouTube you're talking about, I've seen a very similar one. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's just mind-boggling. And I'm one of those guys, I, I never say the NBA is fixed. I think, you know, overall the calls bounce out and refs do the best job they can. I, I'm, I'm with you. But that game right there is some kind of aberration where I, if, if everyone was making an argument about the NBA ever being fixed and they pointed that game, I have no rebuttal because it was, man, I, I just remember just the, the, just the shock of watching these, these phantom fouls and, you know, you guys are getting hit and nobody, no whistles, whistles swallow when you guys are getting hit. It was just, so I'm, I'm saying it for you. I don't know if you ever see that Ken Peel skit. They had, a, uh, they did Obama and his, Anger translator. I'm being your anger <laughs> translator for that one. That was some absolute horse crap. That's what it was. I'm your anger. I'm I'm calling it. That was some nonsense, and somebody owes somebody an apology or something because that was some absolute crap. So, um, and you know what? You this is, this is a quick segue because you were talking about Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. You played Tim Duncan in his prime. You played Kevin Garnett in his prime. You got to see Jermaine O'Neal in his prime. Um. I mean, you, even though we we know the 90s was kind of the era of the big men as far as, you know, uh, Hakeem and even younger Shaq and um, David Robinson, we had some really we, – we have some, some amazing Hall of Fame big men that we've seen, and you've played against all the best of them, man. Can you give me 
I'm not going to ask you to rank them. That's not even fair to you. Some of your, your the, the memory that, like, something that stands out where you're like, wow, I'm playing against a legend right now. I'm playing against a fantastic player. And please, don't hesitate to give me a Kevin Garnett because I love, I love Kevin Garnett was my guy. All right. Uh, when, I, when I got on the court against the New York Knicks uh, and I'm playing against Patrick Ewing, that was my welcome to the NBA moment because Patrick was a guy that I always emulated. I knew I could never be as good as him because that wasn't his size or near, nowhere near his talent level. But he was a guy that just blocked shots, he rebounded, and he dunked it, and it seemed like he was always trying to rip the rim off, like Shaq, but in a different way. And, you know, for, the, for a, a different generation like Shaq, I'm trying to uh, give a connection to the younger people that don't know who Patrick Ewing is, but Garden him was uh, ridiculous, you know, and I, I didn't do horribly – but it was still just like, oh, my God, I'm guarding Patrick Ewing right now. And then all of a sudden we're playing the Houston Rockets, and I'm guarding Hakeem Olajuwon. Same thing. I'm just going, how am I supposed to guard this guy? He's lightning fast, and he really literally was. The dream shake wasn't just a shake. It was effective because he was so fast. I've never guarded a man that was that fast and that size. He was so quick. It was unbelievable. I guarded uh, David Robinson, the admiral, and I, I fared better against the admiral because it was his back was already bad, and, and I knew it. And so I would do things to to, to make his back uncomfortable, and he would oh, man. shoot the you know the, the soft jumpers, you know, because I had to use the advantages that I had to try to slow him down. But uh, you know, then then going into the younger generation, Tim and I are the same age. He started playing basketball right. later than I did, so he's still playing. <laughs> my body's wrecked, but I, you know, I was playing my whole life. He was a swimmer his whole life up until like 17. Then he grew a foot and got recruited by Wake Forest. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, playing against Kevin, I hated Kevin Garnett. I hated Kevin Garnett. So, cause you wanted me to talk about Kevin Garnett. I'm going to tell you, I hated Kevin Garnett. <laughs> my whole career. We almost got in a fight in Tokyo because I hated Kevin Garnett. The Kings were playing the, the Timberwolves in Tokyo. And he was talking trash, and he was saying some things that, that I, I didn't like. And we were in the tunnel, <laughs> and he said something, and I turned around, and I said, do you want to say that again? Because I'll make you not – I'll make you those words or something. You know, it was just blah, 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 you know. And we had to be held apart in, in the tunnel. There was no cameras, or, or if there were, I didn't see any. And I've never been in a fight in my life but that was about as close as I've ever been. I've, there's been a couple situations, and that's one of them, where I was about to throw punches um, with somebody. I hated Kevin Garnett. And then all of a sudden, fast forward, you know, eight years, and I'm playing with Kevin Garnett. <clears throat> and I realized why I hated playing, with Ke uh, playing against Kevin Garnett, and I hated <laughs> Kevin Garnett, because he's a, he's a competitor. Is he my favorite person in the world? Am I going to call him up right now and go, hey, Kevin, what's up, man? It's been a long time. How are you doing? No, I'm not going to do that. But as a teammate, <laughs> that guy is, is great. And every team needs a Kevin Garnett to win because he's a bully. And, and the guy got it. For whatever reason earlier in his career, he couldn't carry his team to victory. But he got it, and he realized, you know what, I'm going to go take less money and win a championship with some other guys that want to do the same thing. And that's what happened with the Celtics. Uh, and so – when I'm, uh, I'm sorry to digress a little bit and go off topic, but when I got to play 
against Patrick Ewing, David Robinson. Oh, I forgot Charles Barkley. I got to guard Charles Barkley. Kidding me? Um, these are yep. guys that are Hall of Fame guys. Duncan, Barkley, Robinson, Lajuan, Ewing, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, when you're going from college where you're playing against guys, you know, from 300 different colleges and you're just rolling around here in my four years of, you know, guys don't know that nowadays because they're like, oh, one year, one semester, I'm good. I'm going to go to the NBA. No, you're not. <laughs> anyway, um, but, you know, you're, you're rolling around so much talent. But then you get to the NBA, there's 30 teams, and they're the best in the world. There's only 450 of them in the world. So you're playing against the best in the world every night and you start racking up those names. And if you have a career like I was blessed to have in 11 years, you get to play against these people over and over and over again and you get used to it. But then as you get older and you start thinking back, you just go, wow, that not that I'm trying to say I was great, but it's amazing to look back and think about all the memories I have and all the guys I played against played with uh, and, and for and the owners and the, and all of it. It's just it's a it's an amazing ride. It's an amazing rush. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. Because you're saying that you're not great, but like you just said, I mean, every year 450 guys. And I think somebody one day I was talking about the NBA, and I, I wasn't thinking. They said like I think so, in the whole the whole time of the NBA since the inception, there's been maybe I think was it, was it four thousand or six thousand people who played in the NBA. So I mean, you're you're one of you're 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 like the elite of the elite, man. So don't don't sell yourself short. Um, have you been watching the playoffs this year? I've been watching a little bit of the playoffs. I watched the the last, game seven of uh, the Toronto Raptors and the Pacers, and you know I I live in Indiana, so I watch the Pacers. I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of the Pacers. I used to do, I did some commentating for them last year, last season, but. Uh, you know, I, I do work for the Pacers on occasion. I do appearances. I do camps for them. I do some autograph sessions for the Pacers because I live right down the road from where they play. So it works out well here. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I'm a fan of the game, but I, I don't watch a lot of uh, the playoffs uh, because I'm just, I've been so busy this time of year. And, and uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, and we you know, had the baby. So I've been in hospitals. My mom's in, in, just had surgery today. So I've been in hospitals watching my mom, watching Mrs. Pollard and the, and the original Mrs. Pollard. And everybody's doing fine. But, uh, you know, it's game one. Let me just say this, James. Game okay. one in the NBA playoffs as a spectator, not as a player, because every game means something. But as a spectator, it's really not even worth going to game one. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's not really worth watching game one. Game one is just like, we just need to get this one out of the way so we can get to something else. And, and that's all it is. It's important for the players because if you're home team, you got to protect your home court. And if you're the away team, you're trying right. to steal one of the two first two games. So game one means something to the players and game two means something to the players. But as a spectator, it's like, you know what? Call me up when when the series is on the line because that's when you're going to see – people absolutely gouging each other's eyes out and ripping each other's hair off and, and, and pulling each other's jerseys. And I'm exaggerating, of course, but, you know, that's right, right. The, the tempo, the emotion, and all of that stuff. And, and some teams do that every single game, and they should, but not every team does. You know, you, I, I watched the game one of, of the Cavaliers and the Hawks. And that was a great I game. Even, I didn't. I couldn't even watch it. It was game one. I was just like, "This is." I, you you say it's a great game as a spectator, but I'm sitting there watching, it going, 
All right. Well, they're just trying to. Yeah, they're just. Uh huh. Yep. All right. Great. Thanks. All right. I'm done. I had to stop watching. But for players, but it, it means something. But as a spectator, because I'm disassociated now, because I'm not. A, I'm not playing anymore. So I'm. I don't care who wins. So I'm watching it as a spectator, just going, "Why am I watching this?" Sorry. Well, so this is something people don't really. I think a lot of people don't know about you and. So, other than your first year in Detroit, I believe, you made the playoffs at least, you know, every year of your career. And so, if anyone knows about the playoffs, it would be you. And so, like, the first game, like you said, the first couple games, actually, both teams kind of feeling each other out, you know, your chest is for weak points. And then, you know, second game, third game, fourth game is when, you know, you kind of get used to each other. And so, now it's it's about it's about uh, adjustments and matchups. Um, like, Golden State blew Portland out in game one, you know, and, and this was without Steph Curry. Uh what do you think about Portland this year, and, do you, and what do you think they can do in game two to make this a little more competitive? Um, you know, Dame didn't have a great game. CJ didn't have a great game. Uh, what do you think about that series out there with Golden State without Steph? Portland has a chance, like anybody does now, when when you're facing a team that doesn't have their best player. You have a chance to win. Obviously, it didn't show that, that desire in game one. Now it's game two, though. you got to get one. Like I just said a little bit ago, you've got to get one on the other team's floor because that way you're going back home with a chance to take control of the series in three and four. So this is their chance right now. They, they blew it in game one. But game two now, they have a chance to take control of this series by getting this one. So as a player, if you're a trailblazer right now, you're going, look, yeah, they're a wounded animal. They're backed in the corner. They use all those euphemisms, uh, you know, like, oh, they don't have their best player, so everybody else is stepping up, and everybody else is playing hard. Well, guess what? We take Clay out of this game, we win. That's a fact. Exactly. You, you've got That's to it. take their next best player out of the game, and you will win because they can't go back to their best player. He's out. So you've got to knock exactly. out and, and, and really do the rest of the NBA a favor because if Steph gets, if they're in the playoffs long enough for Steph to return, they're they're going to win. So as long as he comes back healthy, you know, if he, if he if he comes back healthy, you know, then they have a very very good chance of winning. But right now, the Portland Trailblazers have the greatest opportunity of anybody in the NBA right now to play spoilers and determine who wins the NBA championship this year. And if the Portland Trailblazers want to do that, to, I, I, is the game tonight? I don't even know. I'm sorry. But if it's whatever game two is, <laughs> that's their chance to change this season's NBA champion into someone besides the Warriors. I'm gonna once this podcast is up, I'm gonna post it to like a million people because I've had this conversation on, on Twitter and on Facebook where I'm telling people, listen, I know Golden State's still very good without Steph Curry, but he is the the, the straw that stirred that drink. As play, as good as Clay is, as good as, as Dre is, they're, they're fantastic players. But Steph Curry makes it all happen, and so yeah, they, we can we don't we don't notice the the subpar games by Clay Thompson because you Steph Curry is so brilliant, and so you know oh, okay hey he's great, he has to be excellent to to for them to beat Portland and to beat the other teams without Steph Curry. So I appreciate you saying that because you kind of it's hearing from a you know someone in the know like yourself means you know it it means I'm on the right track. Uh, right now it's like that we speak. I think Miami and uh, Toronto are going at it. They're, they're pretty much locked up. It's 51-50 Toronto uh, in the third quarter. What do you think the key to that series is? Uh, <laughs> Toronto is a team with a city and a country behind them. 
the Canadian fans are fanatical. They love the NBA. I was so upset when Vancouver moved to Memphis because, A, Vancouver's a great city, but also because they had a great fan base. The owner was just a jerk. Uh, well, I don't know if he's oh, a jerk, but he just, you know, he decided <laughs> not to stay in Vancouver. So, um, but the, but the, the, the Raptors have to use I have the same thing I've been talking about the whole time. If they can get one of these games in Cleveland and turn it into a home court series for the Raptors, they have a good chance of winning all their home games. They're very good. And uh, I don't, I don't know how to say his name in the, in the middle, but that, that big kid in the middle, the Russian kid or, or Serbian kid, I don't know how to say his name, but that Jonas Valanciunas. Valanciunas, yes. However you say it. There we go. Uh, I think we're both wrong, but that's close enough. Jonas, Jonas V. We got Big V. How about that? We'll call him Big V. I'm, if, I, if I was being paid to commentate your games, I would know how to pronounce them, but I don't pronounce I don't, uh, I don't study uh, everybody's last name, and I don't want to butcher it. He's, he's a great player. Um, but I love their home court advantage. I love how much support they have. And Cleveland has a very similar home court advantage, having played for the Cleveland Cavaliers for one year myself. But it's almost like the Cavs look for reasons to lose, and the Raptors are looking for reasons to win. So if the Raptors can keep this an emotional series and get away from the X's and O's, if they can make this an emotional series and make the Cavs pissed off or make the Cavs unhappy or make the Cavs feel like they're comfortable. Yeah, they're squared off with heat right now. I think I, I got you. I got oh, you on the wrong train. I, I think I'm going to the No, it's okay. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're facing off with Dwayne Wade and the Heat right now. But it's the same thing. It's the same yeah. thing. But yep. It doesn't matter which team it is. It's the same thing. The Raptors have to make this an emotional series. They barely beat the the, the Pacers because really it's not their talent that's getting them through. They're a talented team. The the Raptors are, but it's not their talent that's getting them through. It's they're, they they just play at a high level, and they're an emotional team. And I watched them. They struggled against the Pacers because the Pacers took the fun out of their game. They took the crowd out of their game, and they struggled against a team that they should have blown out every game. It's going to be the same thing with the Heat. If they can steal one of these games, they're going to go home, and they're going to have a great home court advantage in, in Toronto. And it doesn't really – you know, again, obviously I haven't been watching because I didn't know it was the Heat versus them. It was the or the Cavs. But uh, so I'll admit my ignorance on the playoff situation right now. But I do know basketball, and I do know the Toronto Raptors, and I do know that Toronto right now, if they can make this an emotional series with the Heat, it really doesn't matter who they're playing because they're outmatched talent-wise, top to bottom, by a lot of teams. But clearly, they're the two seed for a reason. They play at a high level. They play at an emotional level. And if they can stay happy and emotional uh, on, a, on a high plane, their, their play of level goes, goes up another level. And uh, they're a fun team to watch. They, they really get things done. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you, you, know, you, you making that gaffe to make, to make me feel better about thinking that you played in uh, Indiana first. But that, that was all me. That, you don't, have to, don't join me down here. Uh, speaking we're, of the Cavs, all right. <laughs> Speaking of the Cavs, we've got the brilliant LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Love, and they're squaring off against the, the, the I guess, Esprit de Corps, like, you know, the team's team in Atlanta that plays like the, they become the Spurs of the East. Um, what can Atlanta do to slow down LeBron James? Like you said, you played a, a year in Cleveland, so you've, you've seen the man in person. You've, you've, you know, we've all followed his career. He's, you know, he's still a top, 
you know, some say he's the greatest in the game. Some say Curry's passed him up. Whatever. He's still an elite player. What can what What do you think the Hawks can do to to slow down LeBron James a little bit? Uh, that's uh, you just said it, James. As I was just saying a little bit ago, when I was talking about the Raptors playing the uh, the Cavs, um, the Cavs mm-hmm. seem to look for reasons to lose. They get they get discombobulated easily. They they don't seem to have a great cohesiveness about them, where each player goes, I've got this. I I, I don't care who gets the ball, I got this. That's what makes the Warriors so dominant. The Cavs are getting by, and they're playing well, uh, or they win a lot of games, not because they play well, but because they have so much talent. They have so many weapons, but they don't seem to have that cohesiveness, and they break apart. And and the the Hawks, being, as you mentioned, James, the Spurs of the East almost, their consistency is going to wear down the Cavs because I don't think the Cavs can rise to that level of consistency that they can beat a team that just executes and takes things away from you oh. and guards you and is going to make you play at a higher level because the Cavs are hit or miss. I don't know if this guy's going to play tonight. I don't know if this guy's going to be healthy tonight. I don't know if they're going to play hard. It's just uh, I I love Cleveland. I love the, the owner. I love the the, the – the whole city is a great place to be, and I love playing for the Cavs. But this current roster, I just don't trust them. So I would pick the Colorado oh, wow. Hawks in this one. I love this man. I can't. I can't wait to get this. this you you uh, you mirror a lot of things I say. Because LeBron James is LeBron James, but I mean I don't trust J.R. Smith and you know Kevin Love already got a little banged up last game. Uh, last name, real quick. Let's let's go back. Uh, Kevin Durant. And and OKC, they they pulled off a. I don't know if you saw the highlights, but if you haven't seen it yet, catch the highlights of the end of that Spurs uh, Thunder game from from yesterday. It was it was a madhouse, and now it's, they're not up one one going back to OKC. Um, we know Kevin Durant will be a free agent this summer, um, and we know that him and him and Russell Westbrook are two probably the, the top five, seven best players in the NBA. However you want to count them, they're amazing. What can they do to overcome the excellence of the Spurs? It's so hard. You know, Pop is a genius. The Spurs, for some reason, are just, even though they're all old, Tim and I are the same age, and I I feel it every day that I'm 41 years old, and Tim just is out there still just dropping buckets. It makes me mad. (laughs) I'm not jealous, but it's like, wow. I, I wish my body felt that good that I could even run. I don't even run anymore. But the Spurs seem to defy their age. And they keep yes. staying so good and so consistent, and they just grind out wins. It's not pretty basketball. Sometimes they make pretty plays, but most of the time they just outlast people. It's like, hey, we're going to do this. Try to stop us. And no one can. They just execute. The, the Thunder, I love them. I love Russell Westbrook. I don't think I would like being around him, but I'd probably love being his teammate. Kind of like a Kevin Garnett thing. I okay. love his talent level. I think he's a jerk, but I don't know him. But I would probably love being his teammate. I love Nick Carlson. I got him to go to Kansas. I was a host, and I talked to him to go into University of Kansas. So Nick and I go way back. And I love that dude's mentality. He went from an All-American to a role player to sometimes getting 25 or 30 a game in the NBA. And then now, once in a while, he just pops in there and does what Nick Carlson does, and that's helped the team win. I love my kid, Steven Adams. 
you know, a lot of people think he's my son, but I've never been to New Zealand. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Kevin Durant is is just – I I called it from minute one that he was going to be something special in the NBA uh, because I watched him come into the Allen Fieldhouse and just destroy my Jayhawks. And it, I just – I knew he was going to be special, and he is. He's he's made me correct. I had one pred- prediction that was correct, and that it was Kevin Durant. But uh, <laughs> the Thunder, in order to win this series, um, gosh, they just they have to figure out a way to make the Spurs feel their age. I don't know if they can do it, but they, they've got to they've got to run. They've got to run. I don't know how they can alter the tempo of the game because they they don't the Thunder. That's why they missed James Harden. I wish they had never have gotten rid of James Harden. I don't know what happened there. Um, but if they could just run and get 100 points, they're going to win the series. If they can get 100 every game, they're going to win. But they can't play in that's the That's a good call, man. No one can. Yeah, that's a good call. And uh, one of my keys to the series was they got to get out and run, 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 because um, – once, once the Spurs get their defense set, they're too tough. And uh, once the Spurs get their defense set and Kawhi is just latched on the KD's hip, they, they make it so hard for them to score. So Russell Westbrook did the last game. He, you know, early offense, he was gone. And, you know, they, they scored an early offense. And it, it worked for them, and they still only won by one point. So that's tough, man. Um, so, so, hey, you just fin- congratulations. You just finished your run on, on Survivor. That's pretty awesome. Uh, what, what, what was that like? It was fun. Um... You know, it, it was a life-changing experience because the, that's the reason we're having the baby, or we had the baby, uh, because mm-hmm. I was gone for seven weeks, and my wife and I were discussing, oh, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, I'm old, you know, this and that, and uh, that seven weeks of, of not talking and not being able to be around each other, it really clarified things for both of us, uh, and we got back together, and it was like, yep, we're doing this, so we had a baby, and um it, it was a, it was a fun experience. The, the finale is on the 18th. We'll be going back out to LA for that for the live show, and uh, we'll be bringing the new baby with us. My my older kids aren't going to be able to make it because they don't want to miss school, uh, but um, we're gonna we're gonna be there, and it, it's gonna be fun. Uh, we're very excited uh, to be there. It it was it's real. If you, if you think you're gonna go on Survivor and there's gonna be like maybe the shelter is built or they're gonna give you this or they're gonna give you that to help you along. No, that's not true. They don't do that. It's, that's one thing. I actually thought that going into it. I was like, there's no way that you actually have to build the whole shelter. There's going to be, you know, part of it's going to be built or the roof's done and all you got to do is attach it. stuff waiting for you. Yeah. No, no. It's, it, there, no. It's, the surviving part is 100% real. Uh, you definitely don't eat unless you go get food. So um, it, it was fun, though, and, and you know, it was – it was quite an experience. Um, you know what, uh, Scott? Thank you very much for coming on, man. You know, you, you, know, you hey, you agreed to okay, twenty thirty minutes, and and I kept you on here for almost forty five. I really appreciate that, man. Um, and, and I was reading actually, uh, you know, doing a little research, trying to actually act like I know what I'm doing here, and I I saw that your blog post about um, you know, you you, you retired back in two thousand eight. Am I right now? Yeah, two thousand eight. And one of the reasons you did it, like you said, you wanted to be, a, you know, you wanted to have more time with your kids, man. And that, that says a lot because some players are going to milk it and they're going to go to the very end and, you know, ring every dime they can out of the NBA career. 
and uh, you know, you you yeah, your family was more important than than you know, however much you know, a, a couple million here and there. Which I can say that, and I'm flabbergasted. But to you, family is more important. You know, so that's that's a big thing, man. And I just wanted to, you know, that's I recognize that, and I, you know, it, it's out there, and I tip my hat to you for that. Um, anything else you got coming up? Soon? Uh, I made a movie. Uh, it's coming out this fall. We're gonna try to get into some festivals. It's called The Association, and um, it's not a biography. It's loosely based on some of my experiences and uh, some people I've been around, uh, teammates and, and other people, uh, their experiences. But uh, it's it's not a basketball movie. There's very, very little basketball in it. It's a drama. And um, just look for it. We'll, we're going to try to get into some festivals. If not, we'll, we'll start showing it. I'm definitely going to, uh, if we don't get into festivals, I'll definitely bring it out to San Diego and, and show it because that's my hometown. I went to Torrey Pines High School, so we'll be out there, and, and I'll hit you up, and we'll we'll do some publicity if that's the case. But we're going to try to get into some festivals this fall and, and see what happens with it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a work in progress right now, but we're hoping to get it all uh, wrapped up and ready to go. But other than that, just raising babies and, and uh, enjoying life, man. That's awesome, man. So I guess Axeman at Cutters Creek was, was, wasn't just a, uh, was just a jump off your movie career. Uh, well, that was one of them. Yeah, those, those were fun little. I, I did another one out there. Uh, shoot, Barrio Tales. Uh, that one was even. Uh, that was uh, along the lines of Axeman at Cutters Creek, another uh, cheesy horror film. And they both know it. That I'm not trying to be insulting at all, but uh, there were just some slasher films uh, that were fun to make or be a part of. I didn't make those, but um, yeah, I, I guess I and. I enjoy being in front of the camera, but I think uh, as I get older here, I'm thinking about trying to be behind the camera maybe a little bit more. That's really cool, man. So, yeah, please, if you're in San Diego, man, I, I mean, hey, as long as the passes are free 99, I'll take them. Now, nah, I'll support you, man. I love to, you know, and I'll, I'll buy you a smoothie or a drink or whatever you're out if you're ever in San Diego. All right. Thanks a lot, James. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on, man. Have a great night. Okay. You too. Bye. So yeah, that's uh, Scott Pollard, man. Um, real fun NBA guy. I, we didn't even get into it about his, his crazy hairstyles. He was one of the first guys, you know. Like he said, people say Steve Adams, uh, you know, looks like his son. And I, I was looking on some pictures. Yeah, they they there's some pictures when he had a full Manchu mustache. Where I'm like, wow, Steve Adams been in the league for a while. Um, he used to go out with ponytails. He had a top knot. Uh, I think with the Kings, they called him like Samurai Scott. It was uh, he was a, he was a personality. But uh, yeah, by all accounts, great teammate. He was always played hard. You know, he'd go out there and battle. You know, he wouldn't wow you with the points, but he played hard. He's, he's a, the consummate NBA pro. So that's really cool. He came out and talked to me a little bit, a little bit of basketball. And, uh, you know, he, the man's living life right now. So, I, you know, just had a brand-new baby. I'm not surprised he hasn't been all in the playoffs like he, you know, he probably would normally be. So, um, yeah, man, look out for the instant offense. I'm trying to get a couple, uh, a couple other players, people who are a lot more interested than me to come on because no one wants to listen to me talk basketball. So, um, yeah, tonight, uh, right now, where we at? Miami's up 63-59 on, uh, on the wraps. It's going to be a great series, I think. Um, I like Toronto. Has, they have the body to throw Dwayne Wade, maybe slow him down with Norm Powell and, and uh, Terrence Ross and uh, I want to say uh, I want to say DeRozan, but he's not, he's, not, he's not that great defender. But he must feel like he's free because uh, Paul George had him in the clamps. You know, they had him, had him wrapped up in the torture chamber. And he must feel like he's been, you know, set free. It's, it's, 
you know, for him, it's like, you know, he can feel the wind beneath his wings because Paul George was in his head. Um, yeah, this is going to be a good series, I think. It's just, it's not the sexy series, you know, it's not the one everybody's really looking at, I think. Uh, it's good for the Raptors to finally get out of that first round. And uh, Kyle Lowry is on the milk box, is on the milk carton because he's, his game has been MIA. Uh, Valencia Yunus, big Jonas V, was killing early in this game. Um, so I've been really watching because I was all wrapped up in Scott Pollard's talk. Um, yeah, so it's going to be great playoffs. I'll try to get on here a couple of times, get some other bloggers. Maybe try to get some post-game reaction after a couple of games, uh, see how things go. So, uh, yeah, thanks to Scott Pollard. Um, you can find him on Twitter. That's fine with Twitter handle is. I just Google Scott Pollard Twitter. You'll find him. Um, and like he said, he has a movie coming out, you know, so we'll, we'll check him out when he's out, the association with Scott Pollard. So this is James Holmes. Thanks for listening, and I'll try to catch up with you guys later. Hop on B-Ball Breakdown. Check out all the best content. I'm the Lazy Writer. So check us out, uh, bballbreakdown.com. Follow me on Twitter, Snotty Dripping, and the rest of the game. We got work to do. And have a good night. Basketball is all a big deal conversation. and. We're all together on that. And this is the worst ending of any podcast ever. So we'll talk to you guys. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Safeway makes it easy to save at the pump with your club card because you can use up to 20 cents per gallon in Safeway gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations. Get more mileage out of your grocery budget, up to 20 cents per gallon. When you shop more at Safeway, you save more at Chevron and Texaco. Maximum reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Cannot be combined with any other Safeway gas reward offer. Restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com or in-store.